0: MSW Media. Spy Talk, a podcast at the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, national
1: security, and military operations. Hi there, I'm Jeff Stein, and this is Spy Talk. Now, David Martin on assignment for 60 Minutes.
0: The U.S. airstrike against Iranian-backed militias Thursday night was the latest chapter in the poisonous relationship with Iran President Biden inherited from the Trump administration. Thirteen months ago, the two countries came perilously close to war. It began with an American drone strike which killed Iran's most powerful general...
1: Yes, that's the David Martin you've been hearing and watching on CBS for 40 years now. For four decades, Martin has been a reliable national security correspondent on shows ranging from 60 Minutes to the Evening News to CBS Sunday Morning and all the others. Martin got his introduction to the military world by serving on a Navy destroyer during the Vietnam War, followed by stints as a CBS News intern, a Newsweek researcher, and then a reporting job at the Associated Press before joining CBS and 1983. Parlaying contacts and trustees built up over the decades from the lowliest grunts in Iraq and Afghanistan to the starched generals and admirals at the Pentagon, Martin has been an authoritative and yet comfortably familiar figure at CBS News, relaying his scoops and even the most unsettling military news in clear and concise language that illuminates and explains never Hector's In a news media world that has been, like the rest of America, rocked by polarization and, of course, vast technological changes. At CBS years ago, some colleagues nicknamed him Run Silent, Run Deep for his intense solo work on telephones and quiet contact with national security officials, all of which has earned him and his longtime producer, Mary Walsh, countless scoops and several Emmys and many other elite journalism awards. David Martin has also been a groundbreaking author. The title of his 1983 book, Wilderness of Mirrors, coined a phrase that's been universally adopted to describe the often funhouse world of spies and counter-spies. That's quite an accomplishment on its own. I'm delighted to have David Martin as my Spy Talk guest this week. David Martin, welcome to Spy Talk, and congratulations on being inducted this week into the National Television Academy Arts and Sciences gold Circle honor society that 's pretty nice. What does it mean for you
0: Well, you know it 's kind of bittersweet because uh, obviously you you uh, like being recognized by your peers, but uh, the fact that uh, i 'm getting
1: uh, a medal <laughs>
0: which says the number fifty on it
1: uh,
0: <laughs> uh, tells you that the uh, calendar does not lie and uh, <laughs> You know, um, I hate to uh, think of having to leave this business. I enjoy it so much. But, uh, you know,
1: we're coming down to it. Well, you're still going strong. Uh, I'm sure you've been asked many times in the last couple of decades, well, why don't you quit? I mean, you're fully invested in your pension and so on. You've been with CBS for some, what, 40 years now? 40 years, yeah. Uh, (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happens is you, uh, uh, you know, you come to the end of another contract and, and you have to make a decision then whether you want to uh, sign on for basically three more years. And it always seems to happen that just when that uh, crunch time uh, for a decision is coming, I, I fall into an especially interesting story. <laughs> and I, I say to myself, wait a minute, they're paying you to do this. You'd be right. a fool to, I, to walk away.
1: I do say, I do think that to myself some days. I say, boy, gee, I'm getting, oh, I'm paying myself now. I'm in on my own at Substack, uh, but uh, I'm getting paid to do this. This is uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, so you've had a long and very distinguished career, obviously, and I want to get back to some of the highlights of that. Uh, but we have something in common in terms of our origin stories, you might say. We're both Vietnam-era veterans. Yeah. I was an uh, Army intelligence case officer in Vietnam during the war. You were in the Navy. Um, what did you do there? And c- can we assume that, like me, your career uh, as a national security reporter, an investigative reporter at that, originated with your Navy service during Vietnam?
0: Uh, you can assume that. I, um So I went, after I graduated, I uh, bummed around for a while. I graduated in 1965, which, of course, is when the uh, Mm -hmm. war ramped up. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if I uh, had just waited, the Army would have come and drafted me. Uh, Mm -hmm. I decided to uh, uh, go into the Navy, uh, go to officer candidate school. And uh, then I got assigned to a destroyer in Pearl Harbor which uh, uh, spent uh, at least half of the three years I was in, close to half of the three years I was in, uh, in the Gulf of Tonkin, uh, either doing uh, a plane guard for the carriers, waiting for a, a pilot who had to uh, eject and, uh, and picking mm-hmm. them up, or mm-hmm. doing uh, shore bombardment runs uh, up and down the, uh, uh, the coast of Vietnam, both, mm-hmm. both south south. Uh, and North. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, sure we made uh, much of a difference in the war, but mm-hmm. it was an experience that really, uh, changed the direction of my life. I, when I went to college, I had no, uh, idea of a career in journalism and the, uh, the thought of having anything to do with the military had occurred mm-hmm. to me long enough to be rejected out of hand.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then along comes Vietnam and, and, um, I got out in, uh, in 1969. So I was, uh, kind of, um, making up my mind, okay, what do I want to do with the rest of my life, uh, during 1968 and, uh, 1969. And of course, 1968 was one of the most unforgettable, uh, news years in our history. Uh, with the assassinations of Martin Luther King and right. uh, Bobby Kennedy, the Tet Offensive, the the, the riot that was the uh, Chicago uh, Democratic Convention, and after the year was over, uh, CBS put out uh, a long-playing record, uh, just recapping the events of 1968, hmm. and I. Uh, I bought that record, and I listened, I listened to that over and over. Uh, I probably listened to that as much as I listened to <laughs> Sergeant Pepper. Uh, and, and I was hooked. Um, I, was, I was just hooked on the uh, drama of those events of 1968 and uh, wanted to be in a position where I could cover them.
1: And, and you first went to Newsweek.
0: Well, actually, my very first job was as a researcher for uh, CBS News. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, uh, I think, a year and a half there. And that was long enough for me to realize that I was never going to become a reporter from being a researcher. They're, not, they're just not going to let you learn on their airtime. Yeah. Um, so then I went away, learned how to be a reporter— uh, first at the Associated Press, which I count as the uh uh most valuable uh experience of my life mm-hmm. um, because it just really taught you the basics uh, yeah. get it <laughs> get it first, but first get it right mm-hmm. and uh and it just i i'm convinced that all the habits I learned in my twenties are the habits i 've used ever since.
1: Yeah, I think Hunter Gonzo Thompson said much the same. Yeah. Uh, even in, when he was writing his hallucinatory prose for Rolling Stone, that it all began with the Associated Press. It's a terrific
0: the, news organization. The,
1: the the five Ws: Who, yeah. what, why, where, when, in twenty five um,
0: words or less.
1: Yeah, <laughs> in twenty five. <laughs> but you you naturally drifted into national security reporting, I guess. Well, it was it was background. the only
0: it was the only expertise I had. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, you and I both know that uh, the expertise you get as a, <laughs> a junior officer uh, mm-hmm. on a single destroyer uh, mm-hmm. is very, very limited. I could tell you a lot about one destroyer in the United States Navy, but I couldn't tell you a hell of a lot about uh, national security. But mm-hmm. it, was, it was the only thing I had to market myself with, and, and uh, I was lucky enough to catch on there at— uh, uh, CBS and I got that first job as a researcher because a guy named Howard Stringer, who had been a researcher, had just gotten his first promotion. Howard uh, went on and kept getting promoted until he was the uh, first, the executive producer of the evening news, then the president of CBS News. And uh, when he was running the evening news, um, he that's, that's when I got hired a second time by CBS.
1: Okay. And
0: I came back as <clears throat> sort of his project, uh, which gave me a lot of uh, leeway to fail.
1: Early on in your career, or pretty early on in your career, you tackled uh, an immense subject, an immense and complicated subject, which turned into the book, wilderness of mirrors which coined a term for generations to come tell us and that was the uh, behind the scenes account of the i'm reading from the copy uh, online now but behind the scenes behind the scenes account of the post-war struggle between the cia and the kgb which focused on william harvey Covert Operations, Ace, and James Jesus Angleton, master of counterintelligence. It's been a monumental book, uh, very influential, beyond the intelligence realm. How did you get onto that story, and why did you tackle it in a in a book?
0: As a reporter for the uh, Associated Press, I was covering the Church Committee hearings, which were the uh, the hearings uh, chaired by Senator Frank Church into all the uh, alleged misdeeds of the uh, CIA during the uh, Cold War, and one of those uh, misdeeds was the uh, assassination plot to uh, kill Fidel Castro and One of the people who had run it was this uh, former FBI agent turned CIA officer named uh, Bill harvey, and <clears throat> I heard the the story that uh, he had been uh, touted to President Kennedy as America's 007. <laughs> and so uh, the president wanted to meet him. And so they, they took him to the Oval Office. And while they were waiting uh, outside the, the Oval Office uh, to be called in, <clears throat> uh, the person who was escorting him uh, suddenly realized that Harvey was packing. Uh, he, he liked to uh, he liked to carry weapons, even though he was working in a relatively safe job uh, at uh, CIA headquarters. And it was just part of his uh, mm. moxie to to uh, carry a weapon. So they had to they had to disarm him before he uh, before they took him in to meet uh, the president. And I think I'd, I've never seen anything in any of the archives about uh, the president's reaction. Uh, to America's 007 remember he he was a great fan of the Ian Fleming novels uh-huh. so when somebody tells him here's our American 007 he must have really uh, perked up but <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> but he didn't look anything like yeah. Sean Connery No, or <laughs> <laughs> there was not
0: even a coincidental resemblance i mean he he, uh, he was he was, uh, he uh, was uh, pear-shaped <laughs> and, and bug-eyed uh, uh, but you know, he had, uh, he had done some uh, fairly impressive uh, mm-hmm. operations, particularly when mm-hmm. he was the, uh, the chief of the, uh, the Berlin operation in mm-hmm. the 1950s. He was the guy who oversaw this massive project in which uh, the CIA tunneled uh, from West Berlin into East Berlin and, and tapped into the uh, major uh, Soviet telephone exchange.
1: Mm-hmm. So there
0: was this period of time where they had uh, direct access to uh, all the Soviet communications coming from Moscow into Berlin. And yet... Yes, and yet <laughs> the wilderness enters uh, because the, uh, the project was uh, compromised from the very beginning.
1: From the very uh, beginning, the Soviets were listening, knew what uh, the CIA was doing. And then that raises
0: the, the question, does that mean everything the uh the cia picked up on those uh, phone taps was disinformation
1: mm-hmm. or
0: does it mean that the russians decided to let the uh operation proceed because of course if they uh they broke it up uh, as soon as it got started uh, then they would jeopardize their uh, their agent who was telling them all about it and mm-hmm. it's it's one of the many lessons you learn um about uh, the wilderness, yeah. uh, which is that ha- having a spy uh, in a very sensitive place who is giving you golden information does not always immediately translate into uh, golden action because if it, once you uh, once you act on his intelligence, you of course are uh, raising uh, the chance that he will uh, be discovered because something mm-hmm. has gone wrong uh uh intelligence agencies are going to try to figure out what went wrong and
1: Speaking that's that's which, when
0: uh you know suspicions get raised
1: and and the guy the other half of your book you might say uh concentrates on the man who got lost in that wilderness of yeah. mirrors, James Jesus Angleton. I think most listeners here know who he was, but in a, in a thumbnail, he was the legendary or notorious, depending on your point of view, and it's still unsettled among many CIA veterans, as you know, whether he was brilliant or paranoid and psychotic. He was the legendary head of CIA counterintelligence and began to suspect everyone yeah. of being a Soviet mole. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I would call him uh, brilliant and paranoid, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because he he developed uh, this theory that there was a mole inside the CIA, and that mole was compromising the identity of every single agent the CIA had inside the Soviet Union. Therefore, any agent that was giving the CIA information must be giving it disinformation so it it just uh, uh, tied the CIA in uh, utter knots um, <clears throat> not trusting its most valuable agents which uh, by the way included uh, probably the most famous uh, uh, CIA agent of all Oleg uh, Penkovsky. Mm-hmm. um, and at the same time trying to f- uh, hunt for this mole and the way you hunt for this mole is you You focus in on uh, individual officers who had access to uh, the identities of these agents. And once an officer fell under suspicion, he had to be uh, transferred to some uh, non-entity job where he could uh, no longer do any harm if, in fact, he was the mole. And, of course, these investigations just go on for for years and years. So, There were a number of uh, up-and-coming officers who uh, fell off the fast track because they came under Angleton's suspicious eye. And Mm -hmm. later on, Congress actually passed a law uh, appropriating money uh, to repay some of these officers for all of the uh, income that they had lost out on as a result of uh, being suspected of being a, uh, a mole.
1: It was quite a thing for you. You were still pretty young at that point uh, and not having that much experience under your belt to say, I've got a book in that. Um, But still, you did and came up with, as I said, a monumental product in, in the book, The Wilderness of Mirrors. Some former CIA officers talk about the clandestine mentality. This is a world in its own, people who worked in operations in CIA, as you know, especially counterintelligence. Uh, were there any big surprises for you when you, when you undertook this project?
0: Well, um, it was all an education to me. Uh, you know, I, uh, <clears throat> uh, for instance, what I knew about uh, Soviet espionage uh, really, was the names Julius and Ethel Rosenberg,
1: um, mm-hmm. and the atomic spies, and the mm-hmm. atomic
0: spies, and like uh, everybody else, uh, I uh, thought there was good reason to think that they had just been railroaded and, and weren't spies at all. But then you you uh, get into this uh. uh Soviet spy network that existed in the United States in the 1940s. And the way I got into it and the way the uh, CIA and FBI got into it was through uh, the existence of a a program called Venona. Uh, Venona is a non word, it doesn't mean anything, but it was the code uh, given to the breaking of the KGB code. In mm-hmm. 1944, the, the uh, KGB uh, used what was in theory an unbreakable code. Uh, it's called a one-time pad. And if I tried to uh, explain it, I would probably mm-hmm. uh, confuse both myself and your listeners. But um, basically, it is a system that produces a truly random sequence of numbers. Mm-hmm. Which is very, very hard to do. If I were to ask you to to reel off a million numbers, sooner or later, you would you would fall into a pattern.
1: Well, use yeah.
0: use more sevens than nines. Uh, use uh, two thirds even numbers, uh, whatever. And yeah,
1: we used to do it by hand. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, so so did the uh, so did the KGB on this uh, uh, on the, their one time pad. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a just an enormously labor-intensive project for them, and that's, in the end, what, what caught them up, because <clears throat> using that one-time pad system uh, during the crush of communications uh, that went on during World War II, they just couldn't keep up with uh, turning out new one-time pads. And so uh, they reused... Uh, some of the pads.
1: Yep. And And we picked up on that. They
0: picked up on it. And this brilliant uh, uh, cryptographer named uh, Meredith Gardner uh, started uh, breaking into these messages. The very first message he broke into was the KGB station in Washington trying to explain to Moscow how (laughs) Franklin Roosevelt... uh, might win the popular vote in the 1944 presidential election, but still lose the electoral college and therefore uh, lose the presidency. Um, <clears throat> the second one he broke into was about a project which the, uh, the KGB had codenamed Enormous, which is the perfect name for what the project really was it, because it was the Manhattan Project to build the atom bomb. And that message included a list of scientists believed to be associated with enormous, with the Manhattan Project. And from there, Meredith Gardner just kept cracking into uh, one message after another. He'd never be able to uh, break the whole message, uh, but he'd always get these... uh, Bits and pieces that were enough uh, gave the FBI enough clues to uh, go looking uh, for the the spy, and that's what led them to Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. It's what mm-hmm. led them uh, to Klaus Fuchs, who was probably the most damaging uh, yeah. spy because he he was just giving the Russians uh, everything he could get his hands and on. And what? all those all those cases uh, that you know finally came to light. In the 1950s, and then which remained so controversial um, during the the 60s and 70s, were based on that original code break uh, mm-hmm. by the uh, by what was then called the Armed Forces Security Agency, mm-hmm. what is today the National Security Agency.
1: Yeah. Code-breaking and intercepts are still, or even more so, a critical element of intelligence gathering today. Witness our intercepts of Russian intelligence predicting the uh, invasion of Ukraine and so on and so forth. But uh, I want to circle back for a moment because we've just learned of the death of Dianne Feinstein, the former chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, who, among other things, uh, helmed the committee's investigation into CIA black sites and torture. I wonder what you think of that whole that which really divided uh, not only Americans, but the CIA community as well uh, about the usefulness or efficacy or the mor- morality of, of torture. What's your take on all that? And maybe a, a note on Feinstein. Herself, who you covered. I'm glad you asked that because I, I've
0: uh, uh, just by coincidence uh, been doing a lot of reading uh, recently about the American POW experience during the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and uh, for those who are not old enough to remember, the uh, the American pilots who were shot down over North Vietnam uh, were uh, not given prisoner of war status. They were uh, declared to be uh, war criminals and would be treated as such. And that treatment included uh, torture um, to extract uh, confessions and propaganda statements mm-hmm. from them. And all of the, the, uh, the POWs uh, <clears throat> who survived will, uh, to this day, take great uh, relish in all the lies uh, they told the North Vietnamese while uh, as a result of having it uh, tortured out of them. Um, you know, fast forward to uh, 9-11, and we start uh, capturing uh, members of Al-Qaeda. And what do we do? We say they're not prisoners of war. We say they're unlawful combatants. Yeah. And we're going to put them in Guantanamo, but first we're going to put them in these uh, black sites, and we're going to torture information out of them. They don't use yeah. the word torture, but I think any.
1: Yeah. Uh, Enhanced interrogation. Yeah,
0: but anybody <laughs> listening to what happened uh, would, would call it torture. Uh,
1: in fact, uh, just a quick insertion here, I read a book about the Doolittle raiders and what happened to them. You know, They were, many survived the uh, landing in China after they bombed Tokyo, and uh, they were tortured. Yep. And uh, waterboarded in particular, and, and the Japanese who carried that out were tried as war criminals after the war for that very practice that many in CIA maintains was not torture. What In fact, we prosecuted uh, Japanese for war crimes as torture.
0: Well, uh, that's, that's the old line about uh, victor's justice, right?
1: Mm-hmm, for sure. <clears throat>
0: um, but I, to me, uh, you just can't escape. The analogy. And, uh, you know, we accused the North Vietnamese of being barbarians in the way they uh, treated uh, the American POWs. Um, but I think we just lost all of our uh, moral standing by the way we uh, uh, treated those uh, Al Qaeda captives. And then, of course, uh, comes the uh, great debate about whether they got anything useful out of them. Mm-hmm. And you know it's it's really hard to make a decision about that. Uh people I uh respect like uh Mike Hayden, uh former uh CIA director when uh all this was uh going on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh have said uh we got we got valuable information out of them and and there's even a a trail they say came out of uh, those interrogations—that was the beginning of uh, success in the uh, hunt for Bin Laden. But there were other uh, uh, people on the Hill. Uh, I think of uh, Carl Levin in particular, who uh, said, uh, "It the enhanced interrogation produced no valuable intelligence." Period. And you know, Diane Feinstein's uh, greatest. Uh, contribution to this field was to, uh, get all of these investigations, uh, into the black sites released so people could, uh, could make up their own minds. Well,
1: on, only a sliver of the final report has been released and, 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 and that's a pretty big sliver. It is. Because the <clears throat> full report is what, some 6,000 pages or so, um, and one administration after the other has sat on it and refused to uh, release the full report, uh, and it's said that the full report will show pretty persuasively that torture was not overall an effect was, was not very effective, useful. Uh, that many CIA officers themselves objected to the torture uh, and the black sites and everything that was going on there. Um, I don't know that. That Hayden once said to me in an interview, uh, this General Hayden, former CIA director, said to me, we'll never get into that again. <laughs> it's just yeah. too much. In the well, end, it was too much trouble.
0: Never say never, right? Uh, That's right. A, a country gets attacked, it gets its blood up, and, and all sorts of things happen.
1: What's animating you today, David, uh, for stories and beats? What's the most interesting thing you're seeing right now is it the departure of milley and uh the attacks on him by trump or what's what's going on in your beats it's it's really interesting you
0: well of course uh, uh, <clears throat> general milley uh officially retired today so uh we're going to start a new cycle with a uh, a new chairman uh, general cq uh brown and um, i i would i think that extraordinary chapter in which you had uh, the uh, president's principal military advisor so completely at odds with the president, with his commander-in-chief. Uh, it was just not a good thing
1: uh, mm-hmm.
0: for the country. And uh, depending on uh, which side of the political divide you are on, you can, uh, uh, you can take a side. Uh, but whichever side you take, it was not a good thing for the country uh, hmm. what i'm uh but that is not what uh I pursue on a daily basis, particularly now that uh uh Millie is retired i think the the thing that uh, uh drives me more than anything is the uh, war in Ukraine, which uh is just one of the most extraordinary things mm-hmm. uh, you know if <laughs> I thought in uh, in 1989 and 1990, when the Cold War ended, uh, that uh, you know the Pentagon uh, uh, correspondence job might become a uh, a backwater, and of course <laughs> it's it's become anything but. And <clears throat> you keep getting presented with these uh, you couldn't have imagined scenarios. I mean, who? in 1989 could have imagined that the U.S. would invade uh, Iraq? Uh, who yeah. in 1989 could have imagined that the U.S. would va- invade Afghanistan? Who in 1989 could have imagined that Russia would invade Ukraine? But it's all happened.
1: Yeah, a ground war in Europe. is still... Astonishes uh, people of our age—that's for sure. Thought so that would never happen again. I mean, that, that's been confined to war movies we've been watching for decades, and now it's—I still have to slap myself. My God, tanks, tank wars in Europe, and in I, I still don't 2023?
0: think we, we fully appreciate the uh, brutality of this war. Uh, those casualty figures are are just uh, stunning. Um, if If you add up both sides, over half a million uh, young men uh, killed or wounded in the course of what a year and a half um, mm-hmm. that is is
1: is just uh, medieval and what an, an anachronism in this age of uh, artificial intelligence and ICBMs and yep. psycho, uh, uh crypto war and and uh and so on uh and and here we are with trench warfare like world war 1 like 100 years ago yep. bloody hand to hand um horrible kind of stuff uh all of it is just uh, mind blowing to me and to you too i think so well david uh gee, 40 years isn't enough for you you're going to keep going like i am um i noted in a story the other day that inside the building they nicknamed you run silent run deep yeah <laughs> because of your style of working you just head down pick up the phone or go see somebody wander around the pentagon uh accidentally on purpose bump into some official who you know and and wheedle some secret out of him um and i wish you uh, good luck in continuing to do that i i'm a big fan of your work i've been watching it for years and thanks for coming on the show it was my pleasure thank you for having me and that's it for this week's edition of spy talk be sure to check out our complete podcast archive at the msw network or on apple or Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't already, please check out the Spy Talk news site on Substack, where our deeply experienced contributing writers offer a steady diet of scoops and original analyses. Just Google Spy Talk and you'll find your way there. This edition of the Spy Talk podcast, like all the others, was smoothly produced by Kanai at MSW Media with expert editing from Molly Hawkey. And that's it. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeff Stein.
0: For more original reporting and insights like this, subscribe to spytalk.co on Substack and follow us on Twitter at talk underscore spy. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.